You're listening to Love Stories with me, Dolly Alderton, a series in which I talk to guests about their most defining relationships, the passion, heartbreak, longing, familiarity and fondness that has formed who they are. My guest this week is the actor, writer and novelist Ruth Jones. She first appeared on screens in classic British comedies such as Nighty Night and Little Britain. She played Kelly in the ITV comedy Fat Friends, where she met her co-star, the actor, writer and now presenter James Corden. Together they wrote Gavin and Stacey. It picked up a BAFTA along with millions of fans and is still one of the most loved and most quoted British sitcoms of modern time. In 2008, she co-founded her own production company, Tidy Productions, with her husband, and together they created Stella for Sky One, which ran for six series. Welsh identity is at the heart of both Gavin and Stacey and Stella, but across all her work is an infectious warmth and an authentic open heart. Now she's written a novel, Never Greener was published by Bantam Press earlier this month and has already climbed to number one on the Sunday Times bestseller list. It, it happened by accident, actually. I, um, about 13, 14 years ago, I wrote a screenplay. And this was before Gavin and Stacey and Stella. Yeah. And um, I thought I'd try my hand at screenwriting. So I wrote this two-part drama inspired, really, by uh, the idea of starting um, a relationship for the second time with the same person ah. after a, a big gap of time. Yeah. And where I got that idea from was, you know, believe it or not, there was a time before Facebook and Twitter and Instagram, long before social media, but it was the precursor to social media and it was called Friends Reunited. Yes, yes. Oh, do you remember I, it? Well, I don't remember it, but I hear a lot of people over the age of sort of 35 talking Talk about, about it, it as yeah. that was... Yeah, and yeah. it was... It was um, it really took off and people were getting in touch with, you know, getting in touch with old friends from mm. school, uh, mm. but also rekindling old flames. So people who, you know, they 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 could have been in long-term relationships for sort of 10, 15 years, had kids, and then thought, oh, but I should get in touch with little Johnny Jones that I went out with in Form 5. And they would get in touch and then they'd think, oh, we should have been together. And, you know, it was all a little bit cloaked in... Um, rosiness and yeah. uh, uh, so I just like the idea of you know I heard lots of stories of some people getting back together and it worked but then some people got back together disaster mm. lasted six months because they weren't meant to be together mm. so that was really the, the impetus for the screenplay so I wrote that and then nobody was really interested in it and I love that idea. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so fascinated by couples who who return to each other. Yeah, it is because because you do hear some really romantic stories uh, of of it working out. But so I a couple of years ago I went away for a little spa break and I took my laptop with me and I was looking through, sort of scrolling through looking for old ideas for you know new inspiration from old ideas and I found this screenplay which had always been a bit in the back of my mind. And I read it and I just sort of, purely like as a, a labour of love, started trying to adapt it into prose fiction. Oh. And I really enjoyed it. And I, so I'd go off and have a massage and I couldn't wait to get back to my room so I could write more. And I sort of 
instantly fell in love with these characters and the, the intimacy of writing a novel and write, and being able to be inside the, the heads of characters and you know there's this there was something terribly liberating immediately about writing prose fiction where i didn't have to consider okay this is an hour of screen time there are three commercial breaks yes i've got to write to the breaks it's got to be a dramatic peak but you know there was none of that which is it's just got its own joys and pleasures but it was just a whole different experience and i just i fell in love with that way of writing instantly and for anyone who hasn't read Nevergreeny yet, which they should, uh, <laughs> can you give a kind of praise of, of what it's about? Uh, okay, so it, it starts in 1985 and Kate has an affair with a married man. It ends pretty disastrously and heartbreakingly and they go their separate ways. 17 years later, in 2002, Kate is now a successful film and television actress She's asked to go back to her primary school, which is in Edinburgh. And um, she goes back there. It's a sort of centenary celebration. And who should she bump into but the guy that she had the affair with 17 years previously? He's a teacher and he happens to now be teaching at, at her old school. And so what they should have done is maybe sort of said an embarrassed hello and acknowledged each other and then gone their separate ways, but they don't. And what ensues is a kind of quite a messy, messy, heartbreaking mess. <laughs> so, it, so it seems to me that if this is, this is a sort of theme that you're really drawn to of kind of unfinished business and, mm. and sort of past ghosts of love. Yeah, I think, I mean, the reason I called it Never Greener is... Kate, the main character, I feel is a troubled soul who, you know, before she's even met up with the guy the second time in 2002, uh, she is, you know, very haunted and has this void inside her and is constantly looking outside of herself to, to make that void get filled, I guess. So mm. she's had issues with food with drugs with alcohol she's a, a cha pretty much a chain smoker she's all the time trying to fill this void and uh, th there's another uh, another strand in the book which uh, reflects this idea and it's uh, a character called Hetty who is organizing a re university reunion she went to Warwick in 1985 like I did, and uh, <laughs> she she's organising a reunion because she, primarily because she wants to meet the guy that she was in love with at uni, who she feels she should have been with. She's still been in love with him for fourteen years, and she hopes that this reunion will bring them back together. And that ends pretty messily, but it it's all reflecting this theme of the grass is never greener on the other side. It's still grass, just a different patch of it. That's all. Mm, and that kind of. We'll be talking about the ghosts of your love past as we go. But that kind of feeling of uh, what if or that kind of one that got away or in another lifetime with that person. I think a lot of people, I certainly do think, carry someone mm. or a relationship like that with them. Do you? Did you have any kind of experience of that? No, not really, because I think, you know, I, can, I look back with great affection on you know, the times I've had in my life and the people I've met and and the relationships I've had. But I 
feel that my grass is green. Mm. So I'm I am happy and content with where I am and and wouldn't be anywhere else, I guess. But uh it's lovely to to look back. Um I mean, I'm I'm still really good friends with my the the guy I went out with at university and we've kind of stayed in touch over the years. We're both married now and kids and all that kind of thing. And 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 it's great. And oh, because that's lovely. We were, yeah, we were part of a group of friends, so you know, it's all embedded in that in that friendship and that experience of a really happy time. My my time at university was three of the happiest years of my life, for sure. I can understand that the, that there are. I know I know people myself who still hold a torch for somebody, in the, and I think that it's it's really sad. I guess because mm. it's about living in the past and sometimes I think you have to let it go that's interesting when you explain the title and it's so lovely to hear that your grass is sort of perfectly green because I think that there is uh, I think I'm definitely someone who always has a bit of a longing for there's something else even if I don't know what that something else is and that is kind of an affliction for permanent discontentment isn't it yeah but do you think it's an age thing as well because you're much much younger than me <laughs> and I do think as you get you know I remember um like how old are you now 29 oh gosh I mean you're well no sounds very patronizing no it, so not at all you're a baby but <laughs> it, it I gosh I remember being 29 I remember turning 30 and I was so I, I cried my eyes out because my 20s were over. Ruth, I'm so glad you're saying this <laughs> because I'm so freaked out about turning 30 oh. and I'm not allowed to talk about it anymore oh. because my friends think that it's like boring and not very woke. Oh, <laughs> not at all. My stepson is 30 today and I, I, you know, I met him when he was three and I can't believe he's 30, but I'm so excited for him. And I do think, I do honestly think going from your 20s to your 30s is the hardest bit. I really do. It's really reassuring to know. No, it's true. And 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 I'm not even sure that anyway, listen, everybody's story is different. I'm not even sure that thirties are you know, they think that they are difficult because you sort of that's usually the time where you, you know, you start to settle down a little bit more. But I found when I was in my sort of mid to late thirties, I I really got freaked out. I thought, oh my God, I'm I could see forty coming over the hill mm. and I thought, this is awful. This is awful. Um I started buying designer sunglasses. That was my reaction <laughs> to it. <laughs> um thankfully I mean I it could have been worse. <laughs> yeah. I didn't ever uh want to have any work done and I still don't and I don't judge people for doing it but I, for me I didn't I never sort of succumbed to that but when I reached 40 I had the best party ever and uh, my 40s were amazing really to the point that I thought oh god I hope 50 is not gonna be like oh my god 50 I turned 52 years ago brilliant and, and I'm loving it and I I wonder if you do get a sort of sense of contentment as you get older mm. And, and also, I think the only thing that, that sort of presses upon your mind as you get older, of course, is your health. Yes. And so for me, that's been the most uh, pressing thing is mm. to kind of make sure my health is OK, you know, invest in the future. So yes. that hopefully I will reach my, my dotage uh, in good health. But I think it's perfectly understandable to feel nervous about going from 29 to 30 and I think as well it's it's a testament to you know I really like being alive like I really yeah. like life and yeah. I, I know that sounds silly but like 
it's I think it's a childish thing within me that I just I don't I don't want it to ever end. No, no, of you course. Know, that, it's as simple as that. That means every birthday you are aware that it's yes. slightly nearer yes, somehow. exactly. But the one thing as well that you have to hold on to is nobody's life is going any slower or quicker than anybody else. So we're all getting older at exactly the same rate. Yes. You know, so because sometimes there's an, and I suppose this is tied in with the never greener theme, we sometimes think that other people... Uh, are doing it properly. Other people's lives are are better. Well, some people's lives are better than others. That's true in terms of you know financial security, mm. um, relationships, love in their life, all of those things. But you know, it's all about embracing what we've got and be and and really you know feet on the ground. I'm here right now, and this is good. Mm. And this is good. Um, mm. It's it it it's it is a it's, it is a tricky one. It is a tricky one. But um, no, we said it when. So when is it? When do you turn thirty? August thirty first. August the thirty first. Yeah. Oh God! So you're a young, 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 young baby for your year then. Yeah. <gasps> My sister's twenty six. You see, and it does. They see that probably has had an impact. It on It does. You. I think it gives you sort of youngest child syndrome a bit. Yeah. Um, yeah. Of course. I see. I'm September. So. Ah. So I feel like old and mature and wise. <laughs> <laughs> but that makes me feel so much better that you had a freak out as well. So maybe I will, my grass will be as green as yours. <laughs> Yes. And I will be content and calm and happy with my lot you just once I get to. through to 40. <laughs> just keep watering it, occasionally get a bit of fertiliser. Stop staring over the fence. Exactly. Well, maybe it is about that. Yeah. Ruth, I think of all the guests that I've interviewed for this so far, you um, gave the most rigorous answers when I emailed you <laughs> for your choices, which I loved. Um, so your first love, you gave me about four different answers. And um, first of all, I'd really like to talk about uh, earrings of plasticine and the imaginary ball gown. What, what love spell were you under for this to have happened? Well, I loved my primary school. Um, I went to Nottage Primary in Porthcawl and... Mrs. John was my first teacher and there was a boy in my class called Simon Lloyd Owen um, who, and I just, you know, I was just kind of sort of a sweet in love with him. Like, and I remember us um, doing uh, ballroom dancing, bizarrely, <laughs> like as if we were imagining we were in a ball and uh, and I made these earrings, you know, to make myself look like a sort of a posh lady that would be in a ball and I made myself these earrings out of plasticine. I don't know if you remember... Plasticine, I always thought plasticine was just brown. But actually it's because it was reused and reused. So many. <laughs> colours all mudged together to make this dark brown. So I made these earrings, these brown... Brown plasticine earrings. earrings. <laughs> and unfortunately it got stuck in my hair and... Uh, I had. To, I remember going to my grandmother's house and her having to sort of hack this plasticine out of my hair, so I didn't look like a posh lady anymore. Um, but that was. It was a really sweet, sweet, lovely time and lovely, um, lovely uh, primary school. It really was, and it, it's great because my my sister's kids all go there now as well. So, yeah, so that that was... So how old would you have been at that point? Oh, I was five, I think. And is that the first boy that you can remember ever 
having a sort of fluttery feeling for? No, I think there were there were always there was always boys. I think I was always like, um, you know, I think I was a bit bit romantic in my head, you know, right. and, and um, just sort of just really really innocent. It was all a very innocent, sweet time. We're talking about. 1971, when I started school, mm. uh, my, I remember my dad always said to me that <laughs> he took me to school to, to start school. And um, I think there was, you know, you had to go in and meet the headmaster. And so my dad took me into the headmaster's office and he said, um, this is Ruth, Ruth this is Mr. Jenkins. And Mr. Jenkins said, and now if you want to go outside, Ruth, there's a playground out there, you can go and play. And apparently my dad said, I said, I said, I haven't come here to play. I've come here to work. <laughs> what a precocious child. Completely precocious. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm hoping you had less innocent feelings for John Travolta. Oh, yeah. Well, there was a sort of, um, there was a staggered, I can remember really becoming a teenager and becoming aware of feelings uh you know that sort of growing up I guess and um you know I went through my Starsky and Hutch phase which was uh I had we're talking about the 1970s series here yeah. and uh Paul Michael Glazer and David Soule were oh, I mean, it, it was I can't describe to you you know you see, these days you watch TV. You can it's everything's immediate. It's instant. You can watch an entire series at the drop of a hat. I'm talking about a time where there weren't even any video recorders. Yeah, you you waited for your favorite program to come on. So watching Starsky, Starsky and Hutch, and also the Fonz in Happy Days, they were my I would say my pre-teenage first loves. Yes, on TV, my first crushes. Paul Michael Glazer was my favourite over David Soul, I think because he had a chunky knit jumper, which I liked. Um, I like a man in a chunky <laughs> knit. <laughs> yes. And then I think, so that was the precursor. That was my kind of John the Baptist to Jesus. I then <laughs> went then to, when I was in secondary school, the first year of, of comprehensive, Portugal Comp, um, Greece came out. And I know Greece has been a seminal film for so many people my age that it, it was... I cannot describe the effect that that film had on my generation because really? it, it it was so they, they were basically older older actors playing teenagers. They were all in their thirties, exactly. And you just didn't that didn't sort of compute. You know, yeah. Olivia Newton John I think was sort of twenty nine and yeah. she was playing a, a, an eighteen year old. But I loved. I thought John Travolta was the most beautiful man I'd ever seen in my life um, and the way he'd go oh Sandy <laughs> I mean it was actually quite camp he's really. very effeminate that, totally that, effeminate yeah. but I just loved him and I remember you know the, the film was on in the embassy cinema in Bridgend we all queued for ages to get in there and I, I kind of wanted to cry I remember wanting to cry because I wasn't Olivia Newton-John and I would never be Olivia Newton-John. And she was just so pretty and, you know, all these kind of feelings that you want to go, oh, for goodness sake, that's not what it's about. You yeah. know, if, I, if the me of now could talk to the me of then. But How old had, would you have been when you first watched it? I was, would have been 12, I think. 
Yeah, I think it came out in 1978. Because those are the signals at that age, really, that you're getting that are so potent of like, oh, this is what a woman should be, or this is the kind of girl I want to be, or this is the girl that all the boys will like. I mean, the message of that film. But do you know what? Even then, although I kind of, you know, I admired, I thought Olivia Newton-John was pretty in inverted commas, Mm. it was Rizzo that I just thought, oh, she's so cool. Yeah. And I still can be heard driving down the M4 singing There Are Worse Things oh I Oh my God, do. that song is so good. It's amazing. It's a, There are worse things I could do. There are worse things I could do. Ruth, you've got such a beautiful voice, I really want you to <laughs> sing the whole thing. I bet you can really belt the, I could stay home every night. It's so full of pain. I remember my ex-boyfriend when I was about 22, he had a row once because we were talking about Greece and he said that I was the most Rizzo woman he'd ever met. And I took that as a real insult. Did you? Yeah, because, you know, when she's complaining that the neighbourhood thinks she's trashy and no good, (laughs) you don't really want, like, your beloved to think that about you. And I remember being, like, really... Like he was somehow slut-shaming me for saying I was Rizzo. But no, I agree with you. Now I'm older, I'd love... Rizzo's got the chutzpah, hasn't yeah, she? Yeah, she has. And what a brilliant actress. But now, so would you now say that you are more of a Rizzo than you are a Sandy? Um, yeah, although I think I've probably gone beyond Rizzo now because there are worse things I could do than go with a boy or two. Well, that's that's true. But But it's awful that she would be thinking that, you know, that other people would have that judgment on mm. her. Do you know what I mean? But this is the film where the take-home message of it is, <laughs> if you want the guy, be a bit of a slag. <laughs> <laughs> it's true, though. Yeah, that's true. That is true. And also, um, even Olivia Newton-John had to be sewn into those trousers. Those trousers. They didn't, they didn't actually those fit. trousers, though. They look yeah. incredible. Yeah, yeah. Mm. So, you know... Yeah, it's probably really, really un-PC film. And uh... <laughs> you've made me want to go watch it now, though. I have to say. I think of all the people I've ever interviewed, Ruth, I've never had so many friends be so excited as for me to be interviewing you. Oh, there's something about you, um, and there's something about Gavin and Stacey that. Everyone seems to just love that transcends age, that transcends class, nationality, gender. Every you know, my dad can quote Gavin and Stacey as a seventy-two-year-old man Amazing. in the Cotswolds, as can my agent, as can my little brother, as can my best friend. And yeah, that it seems. I mean, I'm I'm explaining this to you. I know you know this. It's, there's something about it that people just loved. Have you? Taking stock of why you think that might be, I it it's really it's really strange because, you know, the the, the show it started off five hundred thousand people watching it on BBC Three, and then by the time it finished, the, we were getting over ten million on BBC One. When when we wrote that first episode, I can remember James and I going, "Well, no idea if this is any good or not," but. We laughed so much at Uncle Bryn's rape alarm sequence <laughs> that we, were, we said, if nobody else likes it, it doesn't matter because we have laughed so much mm. at it. And I do think that there is 
uh, th- that it is important that you enjoy whatever you're writing. You, mm. you know, you have to be in love with it for other people to fall in love with it. But I just, I really don't know. I think it was to do with the, the warmth, first of all, the lack of cynicism. I don't think the characters are cynical. Obviously, the the cultural divide between the Welsh and the English, which is funny because it's, you know, it's not racist. It's not being prejudicial. Um, it's affectionate. You know, that moment when they get fish and chips um, in series one, I go, what is it with the Welsh and, and gravy on chips? And I was with my husband the other day and we went past somebody having pouring gravy on their chips. And he said, that's really pretty gross. I said, no, it's not. <laughs> You know, so it's those innocent observations that I think people, you know, or the ordering a curry sequence, because it's that's it, I love people that relate to it. Yeah. And they go, oh, yeah, that's that's us. That's us. So they were often very undramatic. The episodes were undramatic in lots of ways. We didn't have a lot going on in them, but it was about we, we were fortunate enough to have an incredible cast. I mean, Alison Steadman, mm. you know, just Rob Brydon, Larry, La- having all these brilliant actors who were able to create these characters or to, to take the script and to make these characters come alive in a really believable way. But, you know, um, I've been going on a book tour recently to promote Never Greener. And so at the end of the evening, people queue up to, you know, get their book signed and have mm. a photo, which is lovely. And it's a really nice way of getting to meet people, you know. Um, this woman, you say about that people love Gavin and Stacey, and this woman came up to me and she went, she had her photo and I signed a book and she said, can I just say, I know I'm in a minority, but I can't stand Gavin and Stacey. <laughs> You're <laughs> I joking. Said, oh. I said, Oh well, uh, all right. Well, that's that's fine. I'm good for you. Uh, um, why why not? Why don't you like it? I think you make fun of the Welsh. You know, you take the Mickey out of the Welsh, and uh, nah, I didn't like it. I said, oh, oh, okay. I said, we we're not making fun of the Welsh. Yeah. I said, it's affectionate. She went, well, admittedly, when I found out that you was Welsh, I thought, oh, that's maybe not so bad. But nah, I went. So what about Stella? If you watch. Have you watched Stella? Nah. <laughs> so, oh, why not? I just don't fancy it. <laughs> well, oh, well, I'm sure I'll survive. <laughs> Good luck. Nice to meet you. I hope you enjoyed the book. Oh, my God. <laughs> but, but she, I mean, she really is in the mon- minority there, particularly with Welsh people, because I think my one of my close friends, Alex, lives in America and she has a lot of Welsh family. And mm. when I told her I was interviewing you, she was very excited. And she said, please, can you tell Ruth that as she's been living in New York for eight years, she said that when I am painfully homesick, all I can do is watch Gavin and Stacey. Aww. She says she watches it all the time. She said that it, and she knows lots of other expats that do it. And she said that there's something about it that captures that British people see their beloved identities mm. with it in that show yeah i think i think there is there is truth in that and uh so, do you know what i've had so many people have said to me uh that they have watched gavin and stacy when they've been feeling sad often when they're homesick yeah um people have watched it I mean, it's a huge compliment, but people have watched it to get through bereavement mm. um uh to get through illness 
um, heartbreak. And I mean, that's a massive compliment. That is a massive compliment to have people say that to you. But you know what? One of the biggest compliments is the Welsh rugby team take it on tour with them. No way! And have it on the tour bus. And they watch it on the tour bus. And when Warren Gatland, the Welsh rugby coach, came to this country from New Zealand in order to give him a taste of what it was to be Welsh, they gave him a sort of an induction which involved uh, involved watching all of Gavin and Stacey. Oh my God. And, you know, it's very big in New Zealand, yeah. Gavin and Stacey. Is it? Yeah, yeah, it is. It is now. But he, he it, to him, he said that helped him understand <laughs> what it was to be Welsh. Well, that doesn't surprise me because Alex said the, th- the reason her Welsh family loved it so much is she said there's something about the Welsh that and, until you've spent time with them, you don't understand there's this very unique, incredibly nuanced and sharp sense of humour. Mm. They are very, very funny people and they appreciate good humour. It's a real currency. And she said up until that point, reflected, that just was never reflected in no. popular culture. It was all about sheep shagging. Or it was exactly. All, and she was like, it's the first time where people have really been able to understand the Welsh funny bones. Yeah, I think that's, I, I think that's definitely true. It's sort of played against the you know, it's not looking at the stereotypes of like leek munch. I mean, I love that line when Pam says, <laughs> "You leek munching sheep shaggers <laughs> at the end of episode three, but then apologizes that you know, it, it, yeah, it's it 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 has I think shown a different side of of Wales, and and it, again, it's like that warmth. I mean. Stella also, I think, encapsulates the sense of Welsh melodrama. We're a very melodramatic nation, I think. We're very, we're very reactive and we're passionate. And, mm. you know, so characters in Stella like Auntie Brenda, who have these great big reactions, you know, just saying yes or no. She doesn't just say yes or no. She says, yes and no. It's almost a growl, you know. <laughs> so I think, yeah, I think that's it's very true. And I think with Gavin and Stacey, it's almost like it's it's almost like it's becoming more popular, mm. even though it hasn't been out since like 2010 mm. was when the last one came out. But I think there's another generation of viewers now, and it's always played on Dave and Gold and people the thing is people know it better than me now Mm. people quote things to me and I'm like wow that's well remembered Mm. (laughs) and do you have a as we're talking about love do you have a relationship on that show that you wrote that you feel particularly fond of or attached to I do love in in series three uh, we made a conscious decision that that (laughs) that Nessa would be kind of like irritated by Gwen throughout <laughs> throughout the series. So she's quite harsh on her. And we didn't have any justification for it or any reason for it, which is, I think, part of the joy of Gavin and Stacey, that sometimes we would do things without there being a dramatic reason for doing it. Like the fishing trip that we'll, no one will ever know. understand, never <laughs> exactly, know. Exactly. But then we wanted to to bring that to a climax in the, the final episode. So when... Um, Nessa is getting ready to go to her wedding. <laughs> She's outside the house and and Gwen, you know, says goodbye to her and, and she says, Nessa, I can't remember the words exactly. I'm sure other people know the words better than me. But she says something like, uh, people ask me if I've got a mother. And I say, yeah, her name's Gwen. Not Gwen Dan the Londis, but you, Gwen. And then she just kisses her full on the mouth. 
remember. <laughs> and I just love the way that, the, the, you know, Gwen has taken Nessa in. She mm. has been like a mother to her. Mm. Uh, and uh, I think Nessa has got relationships with all of those, that Welsh family. You know, she's like Stacey's best friend, uh, but she's not a tall, girly best friend. Mm. She's got a relationship with Bryn, which is... There's even been a suggestion. I think she says in in, in the first series, she says something like, um, "You had your chance, Bryn, and you blew it." <laughs> but that's the joy of Nessa. I think everyone has met a Nessa where, in every conversation, these like new oh, bits, bits of, of information, information come yeah, up. Yeah. One of yeah. my favourite bits was when Nessa gets married, and there's there's Noel from Hearsay. There's John Prescott. Who's an old flame, I think, isn't he? Yeah, John Prescott. Well, yeah, she, um, she, she, she did have a lot of political, um, pol- political uh, alliances, um, but John Prescott was, and he, he, him and Noel from Hearsay were the only. I think they were the only celebrity mm. appearances that we had because we did try to not go down that road. Mm. Because you so easily could have done with Nessa as well. <laughs> so she many could have been involved people. with I mean, all of them. She had an affair with Richard Maidley, <laughs> all of Goldie looking chain. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so. Um, she was in the original lineup for All Saints. Exactly, exactly. Uh, on Puri. She had a, a long, long standing relationship with On Puri and used to help him on, on, on his Bollywood films. So, um, and then, you know, like with Mick, she. She slightly oversteps the mark with Mick, really. Oh, she kisses who wouldn't, him. <laughs> <laughs> Who wouldn't? I mean, were you yeah. ever tempted? <laughs> he's a lovely man, is Larry Lamb. Gorgeous. And he gets, he's like a good wine. He just gets better and better with age. <laughs> <laughs> and you wrote that show with James Corden. Was it useful to have, when you were writing about Relationships. That show really is about relationships, yeah. isn't it? Was it useful to have both a man and a woman in that writing room? Did you both kind of bring? Yeah, definitely. And also, you know, there's a big age difference between James is 12 years younger than me or 13. I can never quite remember. He's no 12. And um, so we really did have, you know, he was English, uh, 12 years younger than me. And a boy, yeah. <laughs> and I was Welsh, twelve mm. years older than him, and a girl. Mm. And um, so, yeah, we had very different perspectives on. And also, James just knows about so many things. He knows so much about popular culture, and so yeah, I think it was a really good combination. Yeah, it was a really good. And we we would just improvise. We would we we would do have post it notes, which we would write the basic outline for the episode. And we hated doing that because <laughs> we just wanted to sort of do the characters, really. Yeah. And then we would act out the 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 scenes and play all the characters, which was oh. really great fun. I'm sure you get asked this all the time. Do you do you ever think about Gavin and Stacey and Nessa and Smithy and where they are now? Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, I was on um, the Lorraine Kelly show the other day and. She said to me, do you ever wonder where the characters are now? And I said, completely truthfully, yeah. I said, in fact, James and I were on the phone the other day. We were talking about it. We were having a laugh. And um, I said, uh, 
you know, baby Neil the baby is probably now down the slots, being trained up by NASA on how to <laughs> weight the two peas and all that. And that's all, all I said. Half an hour later, Mail Online, The Sun, The Standard, mm. you know, all these these papers were saying, um, Ruth Jones confirms there's going to be a Gavin and Stacey reunion. And I find it amazing. It's almost like if I just say the words... James and I were talking about Gavin and Stacey the other day, mm. which of course we do because mm. it was a massive part of our lives mm. and we're friends. So of course we're going to talk about it with affection. Um, but it's just it's an enormous compliment. It's a huge yeah. compliment. That it's people are compliment. so invested in those characters. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, it, and, it, and, and, and we do. We do wonder. And um, Are Gavin and Stacey still together? Oh, for sure. Mm. Definitely, and of course they had a baby mm. at the end of the of the series. And I think something about um, Gavin and Stacey. The reason why I was so keen to know whether they're still together is there's as you get older and you rewatch that show. I understand their relationship so much more now yeah. because of what I think that show tells is the baggage that people bring. Mm. Be it I'm really wedded to my country. Well, I'm really wedded to my country. Yeah. Or I don't understand why you eat that. I don't understand why, you know, these yes. divisions and this history. And there's a line in it where that breaks my heart where Stacey says, maybe love isn't enough. Mm. And I think that that's what it tells so well, the complications of falling in, falling in love as grown-ups. Yes, I think that's very true. And um, I think, you know, that's part of the problem as well with, with sustaining a series. So we did three series and a Christmas special. The, the sort of the easy option would be to get uh, Gavin and Stacey to divorce and to split. I mean, we did sort of, they, they had pressure on their relationship and mm. then they got back together. But in a way, that's the soap option. Mm. Nothing wrong with soaps, but that's what, if you've got something that's constantly going on for years and years and years, you've got to keep changing the relationships. Whereas I think in real life, people, it's not that easy to just separate like that, to separate your your lives like that. And you have got to work at it. Yeah. Uh, so I think that Gavin and Stacey definitely would be the cup, the type of couple that would keep going. Mm. Um but it is a it is a huge pressure on people if they're from two different places. Mm. It is a huge pressure. I'm glad you've left me with that lovely thought though, <laughs> that they're still out there. I wonder if they're in Barry or they're in Billericay. That's the question. Yes, exactly. Or well, maybe they're sort of somewhere in between. Yeah, but maybe then, they did one of know. those passive aggressive compromises that yeah. couples sometimes do. Like they'd be in Berkshire. Yeah, always Berkshire. <laughs> yeah. Ruth, I'd like you to tell me a story of unrequited love. Yeah, I was thinking about this. And um, when I was growing up, Valentine's Day was quite a big deal in my early teens. I guess it probably still is now for some people. I just don't notice because it <laughs> absolutely doesn't even yeah. register with me now. But uh, back then it was, you know, the all-important Valentine's Day. And it's so sad that, you know, you get, some exterior valuation put on you uh, as to whether by you know how many valentine's cards mm. you got um 
And I had a crush on a boy called Paul who was in the year above me. And I bought a Valentine's card. I can remember it really clearly. Back then, they used to make, well, they used to make giant cards. Of course, you wouldn't get them now because of recycling and yeah. it's such a waste. of. We're talking like A3, maybe even bigger, that size. But they also used to make these padded cards. You see, your look of what? But they were quite common back then and I bet people will remember them. Yeah. And they came in a box and they were they were literally sort of silk, well, you know, like a kind of a, a fabric cover mm. with a picture on it. It was usually like it would be a fluffy mouse or something um, to the one I love. And it would be padded. And uh, I remember buying one of those and I wrote all these little rhymes, you know, Roses are red, violets are blue, sugar is sweet and so are you, all those kind of things. Um, And I sprayed it, I think with impulse, just musk. (laughs) (laughs) That's where you went wrong. (laughs) That's where I went wrong. Um, And I I put so much effort into this Valentine's Mm. card and it was half term and I remember trudging over to his house. He lived about two miles away. And I remember it, I can remember it so clearly, it was cold and I remember posting it through his door and then coming back to my house and fingers crossed the postman would have been and I would have had a Valentine's card too and there was nothing there. And uh, I don't even know if he ever knew I sent him that card, Mm. but certainly um, he had no interest in me whatsoever. It's just the worst <laughs> feeling, isn't it? Oh, gosh. You know, I, I mean, I can also remember when I was older, like in my sort of, well, I guess early 20s or before that, maybe late, you know, teens, something like that. I remember writing um, Maya Angelou, Come and Be My Baby, that poem, writing that out in a Valentine card and giving it to somebody that I'd seen, um, I'd sort of got to know them. That he was an actor, and uh, and I gave it to a mutual friend. Said, "Well, oh, you could give them this Valentine card." And that Aww. was like when I was. I must have been about oh, I don't know twenty. 23 then oh you sweetheart that's that's very romantic it was romantic but he he was i think he was a bit shocked because well, we, well we it is friends. quite it's quite brave i yeah. think isn't it to do it that. is really and also when you change your like if you think your your relationship is that you're friends mm. with somebody and we were quite friendly mm. and then to suddenly go, oh hang on no she's thinking romantically about me and then you feel a bit of an idiot then. <laughs> and that's the point you go, it was a joke. Yeah. Oh, you didn't think I was serious, did you? <laughs> On to a quick fire round. Okay. Who is your biggest celebrity crush? <gasps> oh, God. Okay. Um, and I'm going to be very loosey-goosey with the rules, so it can be someone dead or alive. Okay. I don't know. It's a toss-up between Martin Sheen and... Oh, this is tough. This is tough. Well, I have to pick... Do I have to pick one? No, you can to... give me another one. <sighs> See, I love Denzel Washington. Yeah. Oh, you like distinguished, powerful... Gerard Depardieu. No. Gerard Par- yeah. Depardieu. Apparently he drinks 14 bottles of wine a day. Is that the appeal? <laughs> Did you hear the story about... party. You hear the story about him on the plane and then you no. were just like, that's my man. 
Oh, I see. No, what was the story about him on the plane? Do you know what? I actually don't want to ruin the crush for you because oh, I think once you read that... Yeah, there was a bit of piss involved. Oh, no. Right, he's off. <laughs> okay, it's going to be Denzel Washington and Martin Sheen. Okay, good answers. What do you think the most romantic film of all time is? Well, I'm a bit kind of mainstream, I've got to be honest, but I love Brief Encounter. I think it's a beautiful story. I love that whole thing of, no, no, we must not go there. And Celia Johnson just is fantastic. So I know it, that's probably often chosen, but I think it's a, a it's and it's and also it's a it's very a very good um, representation of its time mm. and the attitudes. You know, bless her. All she did was have a bit of a kiss and leave a scarf behind, and she was labelled a scarlet woman. Mm. Um, and also, when Harry met Sally, it's my favourite film know, in the whole world. It's just amazing. And what was really embarrassing at Christmas is that my husband and I were watching it. And we were cooking, and um, we had it on the on the TV. We were, and we were kind of like to and froing with making this meal, and it came to the orgasm bit, right? Literally, when she was at the height of the orgasm bit, my stepdaughter came through the door. I'm home for Christmas, (laughs) and I was going, "We've got a film on. We're watching." And then it sounded like it was we were watching porn. <laughs> we've got a film. We were, it's when Harry met Sally. <laughs> she came and she went, oh my God, that could have been so awful. What's your favourite romantic song? Uh, now, I am a big fan of a singer-songwriter called Amy Wodge, who she's written a lot. She's a singer-songwriter within her own Right, uh, but she's worked with Ed Sheeran a lot, and she mm. she wrote that um, his number one hit and mm. all this kind of thing. Uh, she's written a song, she, and she sang at my fortieth, and then she sang at my fiftieth, and she wrote a song which she performed at my fiftieth, which I think is the most beautiful, beautiful song ever written, and it's called Moon and Back, and it's basically saying I will love you to the moon and back. It's stunning. If you've never heard it please find it and listen to it. It's fantastic. But there's another one which is not so much a love song. It's not about romantic love as such. It's more about universe, the universality of love and love mm. for mankind. And I think it was actually played in the Twin Towers, the first memorial service. Mm. Um, and it's by Beth Nielsen Chapman called Deeper Still. And there's a line in there that I just find... So moving, and it says, you will always have what you gave to love. And it's, I think, even in your most deepest, darkest moments, mm. you know, heartbreak, loss, bereavement, pain of uh, unfathomable kind, if you have loved, if you have given love to the world nobody can ever take that away from you. Mm. And I love that. You will always have what you gave to love. That's beautiful. It's a beautiful song. Beautiful song. On to the archers. Uh, yes. <laughs> so this is your passionate love. Oh, my goodness me. I would be lost without the archers. I have been listening to The Archers since 
the early 90s when I was, uh, yeah, just after university. I mean, gosh, it's been going for 65 years now, I think. And there are people that have been listening to it from the start, you know. Mm, mm. But I, I feel like I'm in a club and I try and find, you know, it's a bit like um, when you meet somebody else who listens to The Archers, I, I almost grab hold of them with an intensity that uh, is probably a bit scary. And I just launch in and go, well, what do you think about X, Y, and Z? And a load of the characters irritate me. They get on my nerves, but I kind of enjoy the fact that they irritate me. There have been the most amazing storylines in The Archers. I mean, the one that was 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 hit the headlines recently was uh, Helen and Rob Titchener and yeah. and what was great about that was it, it really did bring to light this whole issue uh, of domestic abuse and women being blamed and imprisoned for defending themselves yeah. and also the, 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 the hideousness of uh, psychological torture. So there are those those big kind of moments and the big storylines that I, I did get to a point where I thought if Helen doesn't get off if she's if she ends up staying in prison I'm going to stop listening same because with, it's that level of investment yeah. to it and the same with uh, there was a point when David Archer who is the the, the kind of one of the, the main mainstays of the Archers uh, was going to sell the farm and I thought now if that happens I'm going I in fact I I got in touch with the actor who plays David Archer. This is Tim's level. And I said to him, Tim, I just want you to know, if David Archer sells up and moves away from Ambridge, I ain't listening anymore. Like as if everyone in the Archers is going to go, oh no, Ruth Jones isn't listening to the Archers anymore. I couldn't bear it. I listen to it every day. I listen to the podcast every day. And uh, I absolutely love it. My sister listens to it. I have dear friends who, who listen to it and I just love to I used to come into work in when I was filming Stella and Di Botcher who plays Auntie Brenda was another Archers fan oh my god we would sit there everybody else must have been bored senseless <laughs> we would go well I'm sorry but what on earth is Clary Grundy going on about and I just love it because People say, oh, wouldn't you like to be in the Archers? And I'm like, no. Wouldn't you like to write the Archers? No, because it would so spoil it for me. Because mm. I, I know it's in a a, um, a recording studio up in Birmingham, mm. but I don't want to know that. Because mm. for me, radio is so powerful and evocative, and I love imagining what that world is. Mm. And it's my little sanctuary. I love it, my little daily sanctuary. The, the good thing about the Archers as well, uh, from a writing point of view, is that they they will sow a seed, uh, but unlike other soaps where, you know, say somebody starts an affair, it can be over very quickly and then they're on to new relationships. With the archers, they're brilliant at sowing a seed and it can nothing can come of it for years and years mm. and years. Mm. So there was recently um, a long lost son came into it. Well, the, the the parents of that son got together, I think, 15, 16 years ago. So it was, you know, they're very, very good at not feeling they have to be rushed with storylines. And I think that's why it has such a great fan base, actually, because it's not like other soaps. And uh, you, you do become invested. And I am passionately in love with 
each and every archer. <laughs> On to your final love story, Ruth. I would like you to tell me a story of everlasting love. Okay. Well, um, see, I've started crying now and I haven't even... Oh, Ruth. <laughs> so um, I think you have lots of... Uh, well, no, not everybody does. If you're fortunate enough, you can have a lot of relationships in your life with people who... Uh, are significant from the start. You know, I've got a, a, a friend, my friendship, my friend Nicola, uh, my, my friend Keris. I've got Kerry, all my my good schoolmates. Mm-hmm. You know that you, you feel you're friends with forever and ever. And um, um, my husband, obviously, is uh, well. I can't even describe uh, my love for my husband. Um, but my, for me, I guess. I, I was very fortunate enough to have lovely parents, uh, a lovely, lovely upbringing. Um, there were four kids, four of us still, we still are four kids, two girls, two boys. And um, my, I think you think when you're growing up, you just think your parents are always going to be there. And uh, my dad, Richard, uh, died last July and um, he was 89. So he'd had a really good life. Mm. and. Um, uh he you know it's so it's it's not like you know some people have such awful stories of loss um but it was still such a massive shock to lose him and i was filming a tesco advert the day that he died uh which is so surreal i mean so utterly surreal mm. um and i still can't i still can't get used to him not not being there, even though it was natural for him to to go at eighty nine, it was sudden, so he didn't. It was not prolonged or anything like that. But I can't. I still find myself going, "Oh, I'll tell Dad about that." <laughs> um, and you don't. I don't think you ever really get over losing somebody, but you adjust to them not being there. You adjust to it, and I think the thing that keeps me going. And this is just my personal. Um, feeling about it is that my dad's love for all of us was so strong and um, you can never ever get rid of that that will never that will never disappear so even though he's not physically in the world I am always aware of his love and um, Mm. and that doesn't that doesn't go away Sorry. (laughs) No, no I I wasn't expecting that to tool to set me off (laughs) but it's very it's very true and I interviewed a comedian Sarah Pascoe recently and she said this phrase because I'm like you I'm very lucky I have parents who Mm. love each other very much and loved us very much and I think as you get older you realize that that really isn't a given for everyone and Mm. what a blessing that is yes absolutely and uh, Sarah Pascoe said when you have that love from your parents it's an indestructible inner pot of gold inside you absolutely and it's nothing other things can affect you and other things can damage you but that pot of gold is not going anywhere no that's so true. And what kind of man was Richard? What was he like? <laughs> he was he was very traditional. He was very traditional. Um, 
hardworking and uh, very, very proud, like fiercely proud. Um, my brother Julian, who's 55, just ran the London Marathon and he would have been so proud of him for that, you know, and he was proud of all his kids and loved to show off about us. Uh, <laughs> you know, sometimes I would get so embarrassed because I could see it coming sometimes. You know, we'd be out for lunch and... Uh, if he, if somebody recognised me and they were looking at me quizzically, Dad would go up to him. Have you seen Gavin and Stacey? <laughs> and um, he was just, he was really, really funny. So like, even when, uh, so a couple of years ago, he had a he had a heart attack and had to was in hospital for a few weeks. And my friend Keris, who's like a sister to me, and my dad was really fond of her. She went to see him and uh, she took him a banana which she bought in, in the cafe in the hospital, right? So she took it to him and she said, uh, Richard, I brought you a banana. How much do you pay for it? Uh, 65p? Take it away, I can get 10 for a pound in, little. <laughs> and I love that about him. His, he had a, always had a, a twinkle in his eye and he was just always... Um, he would often fill up like he was really emotional he could get so he said to me during that time um when he was in hospital and i went to see him and he said uh you know ruth i i'm a very lucky person i've always been lucky all my life i'm very lucky to have you four children then again you're very lucky to have me <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. There's that Welsh humour and that Welsh passion that you were absolutely, talking about. Absolutely, absolutely. He he was he had a, a fantastic funeral. He had three, there were three hundred people there, massive send off. And my brother, we all did a, a, a eulogy. But my brother said his abiding image of my dad, which I'm so glad he brought this up because I would have forgotten about it. He said his abiding image of dad was taking us up to Rest Bay, which is a beach in Porthcawl, uh, on a summer's evening and running into the sea, all of us running with him and him beating his chest like Tarzan. <laughs> and running into the foam. And uh, just, uh, that's such a great image to have of my dad. Well, he sounds like a wonderful man and that sounds like a very beautiful and everlasting love story. Thank you. Ruth Jones, thank you so much for sharing your love stories with me. It's been my absolute pleasure. Thank you for listening to Love Stories. You can rate, review and subscribe on iTunes to give the series a boost and help others find it. And you can buy my book, Everything I Know About Love, published by Fig Tree, in Waterstones, on Amazon or in all good bookshops. Or buy the audiobook on Audible. Love Stories is recorded in the Penguin Studio in London. The music was composed and recorded by Lauren Benstead. Tune in next week when another guest will be telling me their love stories. Love Stories.